0: Oh, hey, this is Tiffany, and I'm your beta reader. I'm also a seven-time published author with a lot more to learn about the craft. I beta read about 10 manuscripts a year because it gives me opportunities to identify good and bad things about storytelling. It also allows me to help authors who need feedback on their writing before a publication. I'm here to offer the feedback that I share regularly with authors from all walks of their writing journey with you. I'm also here to support authors after their book is published, so make sure to listen until the end where I share a book recommendation every single episode. Thanks for stopping by. Let's get into it. Today we'll start another two-parter about one of the most elusive, confusing, and misunderstood things in writing. This thing is probably more confusing than show, don't tell. This thing is POV. You're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Also known as point of view, there is more to it than just first, second, and third person. Today, we'll mostly chat about third person, a little about second But first person is a whole other can of worms, and I need more time to cover it, so that'll be part two. I need to start by talking about the narrator. The narrator is not all-seeing, unless they are, which I will explain later in this episode. How your narrator behaves and gives character information is based on the point of view. I define point of view as whose mind you are in, During the section or chapter, which character does the narrator know the best in the scene? Whose mind is the narrator in? Because they are the person who we can now learn the most about. The way I explain this to people a lot is you have two or three people in a scene. Which person has the best story in the scene? Which person has the most emotion, which person has the most to give to readers in this scene. So, as I said, the narrator is not all seeing They can only see that character who you're choosing has the most important story. Again, if you choose more than one person for the narrator to be inside their head and to understand, then this is where we have a problem that has a very specific name, which we will talk about today let us very quickly get into second person and very quickly get out of it because <laughs> we're not talking about second person. I know I said that this episode will kind of talk about it but no, we're we're not. I'm sorry. I hate to break your confidence, but I have never read a book that does this. I know they exist and maybe someone can tweet me and let me know where they are, but I've never read fiction That does that. This is when the narrator is talking about me. Like Tiffany, the one reading the book. The story only uses you, your, yourself. It's like a speech made by another person who is just talking to you and they put it in a fiction book. What? I mean, you, the reader. It's not impossible. But it's a little strange for me. I'm thinking back on the days of Goosebumps. I know someone, another millennial like myself, can let me know, but I believe that Goosebumps used to have a series of books where you could choose your own adventure. Flames lap at the posters hanging over your bed. You've gotta do something. Your eyes start around your room and you land on your fish tank. Should you use the water to douse the flames or should you beat them out with your pillow? Hurry, the fire's getting bigger. To grab the fish tank, turn the page. And those books were in second person. You went downstairs and you saw two doors. Which one do you pick? But I also feel like maybe they weren't. I also feel like maybe I was choosing the adventure for another person. If anyone can think of a book that uses second person, like a grown-up fiction book or like a YA even, if it's not like choose your own adventure, I'm really curious. I feel like second person is not widely used. Additionally, I have no experience with it as a writer or reader. So yeah, I won't even touch it. This leaves us with third person. As I said, I'm going to skip first person until next week because I have so much to say about it. But third person in most books, the narrator is disembodied, meaning they are not a character in the story. This is third person, and anything that is not dialogue belongs to the narrator, as in the narrator is telling us the story, and the only time the character speaks is in dialogue. Grammarly says, the third person point of view belongs to the person or people being talked about. The third person pronouns include he, him, she, himself, his, his hers, it, itself, they, them, theirs, their, and themselves, and basically any identifying pronouns fit. I know that I missed some and I apologize in advance. Now here, I think, is where some confusion is. Let's read this again. The third person point of view belongs to the person being talked about. That means, my friends, that the narrator is talking about them. It's their point of view that the narrator is giving. So, for instance, in a scene where two people are fighting... You're being so much like your father. Do not compare me to my father. I didn't compare you to him. I said you were acting like him. You're exactly like your mother. Everything you're complaining about her, you're doing. You're suffocating Henry. First of all, I, I love my mother. She was a wonderful mother. Just repeating what you told me. Secondly, how dare you compare my mother to my mother? The I mean, point I mean, of view mother, of the main character who is know. being yelled at or having their feelings hurt is the point of view of them. That's who the narrator is talking about. The point of view belongs to them. It's we're in their head, looking through their eyes, view, their point of view. So whichever character you pick for that, the narrator is speaking in their point of view. Sally was sad. Sally was mad. Sally punched Jimmy in the face and walked away. That's her point of view, her emotions and her behaviors. I know this might seem obvious to some, but here's where I can go in depth about my preference. I prefer third person with a fixed perspective. This means each chapter or clearly defined section has only one POV. Let me say that again. I prefer third person with a fixed perspective. This means each chapter or clearly Clearly, clearly defined section has only one POV. I feel like I've given this example before, but I am going with it again because I think it's really good. We have Mary. Mary, who just lost her job. She is at the cafe with her rich friend, Joni. And Joni is talking to Mary about all the things that Mary can do now that she doesn't have a job. We can go to the mall. We can go to the cafe. We can get our nails done. Mary is devastated because it was her favorite place to work ever. She made great money. She thought she had connections with her co-workers. And Joni, who is rich and hasn't had to work since marrying her husband, is completely blinded to Mary's feelings in this moment. She's just going on and on and on about what they can do, where they can go and how she'll pay for this and she'll do that. And Mary's like, Joni's not going to pay my bills. So in this case, I want Mary's point of view. I want her perspective on this situation because she's the one who lost her job. Now, of course, as the author, you can give us Joni's perspective, of her friend who lost her job. But here is where my fixed perspective comes in. Here is where I say clearly defined and where I get serious about it. If you're going to give Mary's perspective in this section, in this chapter, we should only get Mary's perspective. We should never jump to Joni's perspective. So what does this mean? This means that the only way we can experience Joni's emotions is through Mary's eyes. Everything has to come through Mary. Everything has to be how she feels about what she's experiencing. So Mary lost her job. We know that she's sad or she's upset or she's mad even. There's so many ways you can kind of go with that. (laughs) But she's looking at Joni On Joni's face, is Joni happy? Is she excited? Is she kind of being cool about it, not trying to seem too excited, even though she's so happy that her best friend is going to have some free time all of a sudden? Well, Mary is sensing this. How does Mary feel about what she sees on Joni's face? Mary knows Joni so well that she probably knows that her friend is so well off and has not a care in the world. Does this make Mary mad? Is she irritated that her friend is so happy about her (laughs) misfortune? It's just whatever Joni is feeling, basically, we don't actually know because it has to come from Mary. So this is a great way to have like a deceptive narrator or a deceptive situation in a story because Mary is upset. Mary could be drunk. Mary could be on some kind of antidepressants or doing, I don't know what, she's just distraught. She's looking over at Joni. Joni is, again, we don't know because the narrator's in Mary's perspective, but Joni may be, as the author, you would know that Joni's really happy. But Mary could be thinking that Joni is being spiteful or being stupid or being, everything belongs to Mary. Her perspective of everything belongs to her. The narrator is within her. So when you write what Joni is doing, it just has to be based on Mary's perception of it. It can't be, Joni was very happy, period. It has to be, Mary could tell her friend was very happy because she had not seen her smile reach her eyes in months And this is Mary's way of knowing that Joni is actually really happy because she's smiling a very genuine, large smile. So, now if that was not clear, if that was rambling at all, let me change the scene. Now, I am going to make this a scene. I am not going to make this a new chapter. Mary and Joni just had coffee in the cafe. Mary is upset. Joni is seemingly happy based on what Mary is. Observing with Joni. Now they're done. Mary leaves early. She's so over it. Joni pays the bill. And when Mary leaves, she's out of the cafe. We have a new scene. There is a visible break, like a little filigree or a line or something inside of your book that tells me a double, triple space that this scene is new, clearly defined is what I mean when I say that. On the other side of those triple space, triple line breaks, on the other side of that filigree, on the other side of that, that line, we are going to now be in Joni's point of view because Mary has left the cafe disgruntled. Joni is going to pay the bill. She's going to put on airs with the waitress as if nothing is wrong. Everything's fine. My friend just blah, blah, blah. And Joni's going to go to her car. Now, Here is where things can get fun. Let's say, skip all that. We don't care about Johnny paying the bill. We don't care about her perspective at all. We want to stick with Mary. Mary left the cafe early. She was mad. She walked out of there. She's over it. She's going to go and just stand at the bus stop because now she's got no money for gas. I mean, in California, gas is $6 a gallon. So that's a possibility. She's on the bus stop. And she sees Joni leave the cafe. Joni walks over to her Mercedes Benz, gets inside and gets on the phone. Now, Mary can see her inside of the car on the phone, but she can't hear what she's saying. We have a choice here. We can stick with Mary, who is on the bus stop, irritated already. What does she think her friend is talking about? She has no idea. From her point of view, Joni is doing something. What is it? Is that interesting? Is that something the reader wants to know? On the flip side, let's say we do want to see Joni pay that bill. And we do want to see her chatting up with the waitress. We then get to see her leave the cafe. Not notice Mary on the bus stop and go to her car. When she gets inside and she makes a phone call, we are in Joni's perspective. So we can actually hear her phone call now. Hey, baby, uh, it's me. I was just calling to chat with you a little bit while you're on your break. But uh, I guess I just missed you or something. Um, Is she calling someone to try to get Mary a job? Is she calling her husband to thank him for being a millionaire? We don't know. But I hope it's interesting because there's no reason to change to Joni's point of view if it's not going to be interesting. There is room for this kind of creativity with POV. Doing the different perspectives helps to create whatever kind of picture that you're really interested in. Because now if we follow Joni from the cafe to the car, and even if she has an innocuous conversation, Mary saw her. So how is Mary going to react to the fact that Joni made a phone call or did something that maybe seemed suspicious from the bus stop, but in the car, it was really not that serious. Do you want the reader to know that it was really not that serious or do you want them to be on the bus stop with Mary and thinking that it's more serious than it really is? So this is where clearly defined section breaks and POV shifts can aid in your storytelling. So now that we know this, let me make my point. Just because the narrator is disembodied, as in not a character in the book, it does not make them all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing. They cannot know everything at all times. The narrator should stick with one person. They can only be in one person's head at a time. If you let the narrator bounce around from one person to the other, this is known as head-hopping, and you run the risk of confusing the reader. If you would rather read my mini rants, check out Beta Bits. My ebooks with friendly writing tips from a seasoned beta reader's perspective are available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. Search Tiffany Christina Lewis on Amazon to find them now. You can also find my crime fiction and women's lit titles on Amazon and wherever books are sold. This week, my devil's advocate tip is related to the question what's wrong with head hopping? Head hopping. I get this a lot. There are a lot of people who do not understand why they shouldn't go back and forth between one person's head and the other. My head still hurts. So let me remind you part of the reason that we keep POV is for the emotional effect. If a reader feels they're in the head of the character and really embedded in there, they will express and feel those emotions with the character. If you're going from one character to the other character and one character to the other character, feelings are muted. My head feels like it's about to explode. They're just like, oh, you're sad and she's sad and you're sad, but you're mad and It creates a bland emotional experience for the reader. And also, again, it gets confusing. Who thought that? Who said that? Who means that? I'm so confused. The more that you focus and get your reader acclimated to one person's point of view, the less confusing it is. And just so you know, head-hopping actually has a name. It is called third-person omniscient. Purdue Narratology... Say that five times fast. Purdue Narratology says that third-person omniscient narration is a common form of third-person narration in which the teller of the tale often appears to speak with the voice of the author himself, assumes an omniscient, all-knowing perspective on the story being told, diving into private thoughts, narrating secrets or hidden events, jumping between space and time. Space. Time. The best example I can think of an omniscient narrator is from a series of unfortunate events. Lemony Snicket, the author and narrator, breaks the fourth wall constantly, meaning he talks to the reader. He tells us how the children feel, all three of them. He tells us how we should feel, or we do feel. He's also a literal character in the book. As the author of the tale we are hearing, We often see moments of reflection from him as he, quote unquote, writes the story of the Baudelaire orphans. Book two, chapter three actually starts with Lemony Snicket saying that he was sorry to leave us on a cliffhanger. I'm very, very sorry to leave you hanging like that. But as I was writing the tale of the Baudelaire orphans, I happened to look at the clock and realized I was running late for a formal dinner party given by a friend of mine, Madame de Lustro but he had a dinner party to attend. The level of all knowing is large here. Assuming that we the reader are upset by being left hanging, these are our feelings. And then telling us what is going on in every character's head is quite a feat. Omniscient is totally possible to pull off, but it's not as nuanced as just giving two characters POV in the same section. Based on what I've read in this POV, this method involves crafting a narrator who also acts as a character in the story, but also has a lot of power, like the author, Lemony Snicket. These characters have real reason to have this supernatural almost power over the characters. This is why most people, readers, authors, editors, would discourage you from using this POV. It's hard to craft a clear, omnipresent, narrator without crossing over into confusion. I'm not an expert on this style, so I can't speak on it exclusively, but I think if you want to do this perspective, you will need to edit a lot and have a team to assist you. It's just the idea of it when I think, again, of the stories that have been crafted with this point of view, very whimsical, almost out of body experience when you're reading them because it just has to be. It has to be more than just a bland narrator going back and forth on telling me how people feel and what people are doing. That's just not going to cut it. If you want me to feel like this narrator is special, they have to really be special. Next week, in part two, we'll talk all about first person and why I hate it. (laughs) But seriously, I have some big issues with first person. In the next episode, I'll explain why and also how to manage first person with some easy fixes to those things that bug me to death. Thanks for listening. If my podcast has helped you, please share it with your author friends. Also, don't forget to subscribe and rate my podcast on your favorite podcast app. This week's book share. Rowena was bred for war. Her stepmother, Queen Siri, taught her everything that she knew about the deadly arts. Siri wanted a weapon to ensure her own son's place upon the throne. And Rowena was that weapon, for a time. A war hero, mercenary captain, mother, loving sister, and daughter. In her heart, Rowena bled for her family. But was it ever enough? Her existence was an insult that would threaten the kingdom's roots and future. Find Scorned by Joseph S. Semeniego on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. And I'll leave a link in the show notes. I want to give my forever thanks to my producer, York Campbell, who also runs an amazing podcast. Check it out at PoeticEarthLings.com. Welcome to EarthStories.com. And thanks to Monica Cox for pushing me to break out of my shell and share my gift. I also want to thank my publishing partners, Brandon and Victoria, who I could not survive without. This has been your weekly BetaBit.